Thank you, Walt. We only read one verse last week, so we had to make up for it. This week, uh, Genesis 1, 1 through 31. Um, So let me pray for us. God, thank you for your word. Uh, Thank you for this word in particular that tells us of your creation. And we pray uh, that you will bless it to us, that you would teach us from it and show us uh, good things, things that would um, uh, offer us hope. Uh, in our lives. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, last week we said that um, creation matters first and foremost because we're living in a story whose author is God. And we can sum up the story in a bunch of different ways, but one of the best ways that I know is uh, from the Jesus Storybook Bible and uh, Sally Lloyd Jones, who wrote that. So I'm going to paraphrase this a little bit. But she says, the Bible isn't a book of rules, although there are some rules in it, nor is it a book of heroes, although there are some heroes in it. The Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. It's about God and what he has done. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story, the story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. So I think that's true. I think the Bible is a story. And if that's true, then stories work by certain principles. We talk about foreshadowing and plot twists and things like that you're probably familiar with. Um, as we open this chapter of this first chapter of Genesis, the one in particular that I want you to think about um, is a narrative principle that's called Chekhov's gun. Chekhov's gun. So Anton Chekhov was a Russian, uh, he's actually a doctor, that was his day job, but also a playwright. He's known as like a master of the short story. And so Chekhov said this once, he said, one must never place a loaded rifle on the stage if it isn't going to go off. It's wrong to make promises you don't mean to keep. So there's a couple different things happening in there in this principle uh, if you've ever read a Chekhov story, then you know this is true, that, that every detail matters. And, uh, the, you know, there's nothing extra. There's nothing extraneous that could be cut out. And if you watch, like, prestige TV shows or really good films, you know the same thing is true. Like, there's nothing extra in there. And, of course, you, we think that that is true of this story, this ultimate story of God's redemption of his people, that, that every detail, each clue, all of the pieces matter. And in that, that God doesn't make any promises in these pages that he doesn't intend to keep. And so his promises are found all throughout scripture, but we get a special look at them in creation. So three promises that we're going to look at tonight, um, or to, I'm going to switch metaphors a little bit, three seeds. Uh, We said last week, I mentioned John Currid, uh, who said that every important Christian doctrine is in Genesis in seed form. So here are three seeds. They're in your bulletin as well. In Genesis 1, they're going to grow and are eventually going to bloom in the pages of Scripture. The first is the creation of God. The second is the image of God. And the third is the word of God. And so what we're going to see is really kind of twofold. First, we've already mentioned every detail in Genesis 1 matters to the story the Bible is telling. But second, Every detail in Genesis matters to your story, matters to your life. So yourself, we said last week, has a creator. Your story has an author. And that means that your bodies, your desires, your hopes and your struggles all begin here, that you begin here. And in creation, 
God has made promises to you that he intends to keep. And so let's look at the first of these, this, this first seed, the creation of God. Um, last week, we talked about Genesis 1-1, very famous. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So we can move to verse two here. Uh, the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. So uh, what was there before God created? The Bible says nothing. There was nothing before God created. But it says it in a particular way, interesting way. Uh, I learned in seminary these two Hebrew words, tohu and bohu. That's what it says there was before God created. And those words essentially mean that, that before God created, there was only orderlessness, chaos on the one hand, and, and darkness or emptiness on the other. So that's the, the scene until verse 3, God says, let there be light, and there is light. If I was a little more on my game, I would have had like the lights out, you know, go out in here, and then let there be light, and then boom, you guys would be, that would be wild. But I didn't get around to that. Uh, so we'll come back to the way that God created, but for now, uh, it, it's, it's enough to say that he did, he created uh, and w- that is like an insane miracle that we skate over every day, right? That there is something rather than nothing. There doesn't have to be. And the only reason there is, is because God did it. He created. And then he spent the next few days doing it again. So for six days, God speaks some new part of creation into existence. And then it says something really interesting. It says again and again that God saw that it was good. So why does that matter? Um, <clears throat> there is an idea that has haunted Christianity for many years. You see it kind of lurking throughout history, rearing its head kind of more and less at different times. And that is the idea <clears throat> that stuff like physical matter is bad. It is bad. This was the belief of the Gnostics who were one of the early Christian heretical movements. And I actually think you can kind of smell this sometimes even in like modern church circles. It's the idea that spiritual things are good, but physical things are not good. And maybe uh, bodies and sex in particular, that those things are not good. They're evil. And that uh, it's this idea uh, that and very few people would say this outright, but this idea that if you really want to be a good Christian, then you have to be like otherworldly, spiritual minded, and that that's kind of what you're about. And some people, uh, even who would be wrong, would say that at the day of judgment, God, like all this is going to get burned up anyway. Uh, but Genesis 1 gives us a very different view of creation. Instead, it, it shows us. This, this all-powerful God creating ex nihilo out of nothing, speaking the world into being and doing it in a careful and orderly, and I think we can even say lovingly or loving way. And um, I, I, God really appears in this chapter to be almost like an artist pleased with his work, right? And that matters And because we will talk a lot about this semester that creation is broken, right? Um, And that that we are broken with it. We're fallen in sin. 
things do not work the way they're supposed to. We do not work the way that we're supposed to. But in that, why this is important is because there's a promise here that God is going to renew it. Uh, my, my predecessor as campus minister here, Ryan Anderson, if you've been through servant team training, you might remember this line. He says, um, and one of the things he wrote, he said, God doesn't make junk and he doesn't junk what he's made. In other words, even though creation is broken, it will be renewed and made perfect one day because it was made good by God and it serves his purposes. Uh, there's a theologian named Vern Poitras who says this really well. He says, each created thing displays the care and wisdom of God because he has thought through its specifications. The world also has a purpose. It is a dynamic whole. The plants and animals reproduce according to their kind. The world as a whole is destined to be filled with the glory of the Lord. The end point of God's purposes is depicted in Revelation 21 and 22. That's our picture of the new heavens and the new earth in Revelation. And God has already uh, crafted the world from the beginning with that end point in view. So if God does not make junk and he doesn't junk what he's made, here is one way that we can apply this. Uh, And I've touched on this some, but it's that your body matters. Your body matters. So to echo from Poitras, your body displays the care and wisdom of God because he has thought through its specifications in how it's made, in what it can do, in what its purposes are. It fits into his plan for all of creation. And that means it is not junk to just sort of do whatever with. Um, it is not junk to uh, give away sexually or to deprive of sleep so you can achieve like your crazy academic goals uh, or to like swing wildly back and forth in terms of nutrition and exercise because of something that somebody says on Instagram. I don't know. None of those things. If the Bible is a story about God, then our bodies are meant to tell that story and to fulfill the purposes that he gave them. And I want to say here, if that is not you tonight, like if you are using and abusing your body and uh, for the wrong purposes, and I am like hyper aware that there is um, often a much kind of sharper pang of, of shame around like body issues. But I want you to know that the creation story here is not one of shame. It is one of great hope. Great hope that in Christ, God is going to renew your body one day. And that means something to you now. It will mean something totally different to you when you are old one day. Your body is breaking down, right? Um, So again, God makes no promises that he does not keep. And so the creation of God, that's our first seed. Um, And... uh, while we're here, real quick, I can't. I have to do this at some point. Some of you know that um, creation stuff in general is uh, contested in, in many ways, and uh, I'm hitting all the hot button issues tonight. Thought we get them all out of the way. Uh, so, um, if you would like to discuss those issues or my view or interpretation of creation, then I'm happy to do that with you personally. My view is very boring and you will not find anything weird or exciting in it. And if you are interested, um, 
My denomination, the PCA, has an excellent report. It's a study report, uh, 60 or 70 pages, on like the range of views that are sort of inbounds uh, in terms of orthodoxy, and I commend it to you. Um, you understand I'm getting at like, well, how long are the days? Like, like those type of issues. Um, okay, moving on. Our second seed that will grow throughout Scripture is the idea of the image of God. The image of God. God creates, but the sixth day, something special happens. Beginning in verse 26, I'm going to read through 31. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and everything that creeps on the earth, Everything that has the breath of life, I've given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Uh, that's an important part of creation, so important, I read it again. But I'm going to be a little bit brief here because we're going to uh, talk more about some of this next week. Um, for now, it's enough to note that that. Uh, We've said God created humans in a particular way uh, with a particular purpose. We are made in his image because we, we reflect him. And that means that our highest purpose is to glorify and enjoy him uh, forever. And in that, it's almost like God created us to be little mirrors of his glory walking around. And I can tell you as a parent, like one of the uh, most fulfilling things is seeing your child that looks like you and, and uh, walking around. Unfortunately, I didn't get a kid that looked like me until my third kid. Um, but, uh, and he doesn't have my hair. Um, I actually have curly hair. Some of you don't know. But, so I was hoping I have like, but anyway, um, I digress. So uh, sort of like that. We're made to be mirrors to reflect his glory. And uh, along with that is, we might say, that, that God has given us a job to do. Um, so in verses 26 through 28, uh, that is what we sometimes call the cultural mandate or the creation mandate. In other words, um, God does not place humans on earth merely for, as Jerry Seinfeld said, walking around, looking around. Uh, we have particular things he wants us to exercise dominion. It's not normal language there that we would use, but it's basically like to, to rule and care for the earth um, in a, in a uh, benevolent way. He wants us to work and, and he wants us to procreate, right? He said, fill the earth. And so there, there's a lot going on here <clears throat> that we can't get to tonight, maybe more next week. But remember this, that, that God has made you in his image, and it's not for purely spiritual purposes, although worship is paramount. 
He has also made us to create and work and, and procreate. And all of those things, though broken in sin now, will one day be renewed and will be set right. Things like authority, uh, work, sex. I've already mentioned uh, the bodies that we do these things in are going to be renewed. They're going to be redeemed and made perfect in the new heavens and the new earth. So one aspect of that we don't often think about is that we will work in heaven. Work is here before the fall. It is good. And so you may have thought that we would be like floating harp players in, uh, in heaven. Henry probably can't play the harp. I don't know. He can play everything else. But uh, that, that means that work has dignity. Uh, I heard a pastor say once that God himself has dirt under his fingernails. And uh, so I really think this is very important. And there are many important things. In this. Genesis 1 alone will save your life when you have children. If you understand that you are fulfilling part of God's cultural mandate by having this child and that that child is made in the image of God and that changing his or her diaper is full of dignity, actually, that will transform how you view those years of your life. And I've changed many diapers. Trust me. Uh, So finally, uh, the third seed that we see in creation that will grow and, and blossom in the rest of Scripture is the Word of God. The Word of God. Uh, when God creates, it says He created, but on day six, when it comes to man, the pronoun changes and it says, Let us make man. Who is us? That is a clue pointing to the Trinity. My friend Les Newsom put it this way. He said, the reason the word of the father has power or agency is because the word is a person, the son. John 1 says that God creates by speaking in the spirit. This is the first glimmer in the Bible of the orthodox view of the Trinity. And then he goes on. Christians hold that, uh, that God is a community and created in his image, a circle of love. It's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This triune community knew and loved one another from eternity, uh, experiencing mutual delight and praise and enjoyment of beauty. They decided to expand the circle and community, so they created beings that could be a part of the circle. So that means that it's not just as if God created you as a sort of work of art, Although I think that is true, it's that he crafted you almost as a puzzle piece that fits into him. And it's, it's wonderful to think about. And, and uh, Adam and Eve lived that life. We'll talk more about fitting perfectly into the creator's world. But all that, of course, was terribly damaged by sin. It was broken. And uh, you know this, right? The, the first two acts of the story is creation, fall, redemption, restoration. I said the first two acts we get very early here in Genesis is creation and fall. But even before the fall, the seed is, is already there for everything to be set right. Chekhov would say that the gun is loaded. 
The promise is made. It has to go off. The promise has to be fulfilled. And so it's right here. uh, The word of God that made you will, will not turn around and leave you. He can't. And tonight, as we've talked about some of the ways that things are not how they're supposed to be, then you might be feeling the weight of how it's not the way it's supposed to be. Um, But there is hope because the word of God became flesh and he made a new beginning. And when on the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, nothing happened. Right. Because the creator had to be broken to save his created ones. And was had to work it in reverse so that you could know him so that your puzzle piece could fit into this larger picture of who God is and who he made you to be. And so we can be thankful and we can praise uh, the one who was willing to go, the one who created all things and yet was pleased to become a, a little child so that we could be saved. Let me pray for us. Father, um, we are amazed when we think um, clearly about creation, and uh, we pray that we would not take these things for granted. Um, The things around us, uh, the way we have been made, the way our own bodies have been crafted, and we pray um, that that you would work in us a a wonder... um, uh, and, and worship in that, um, that you have made us in this way. And we pray that all of that would be to your glory and for our good. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.